And uh, what I, I felt to, uh, to share with you tonight, I, um, I trust that I'll get through all of this first part, but we'll have to schedule the, the second part uh, perhaps at, a, at another time. Um, you know, I am, the fact that I and my family are here, and, oh, before I get into it, I'd just like to, to welcome uh, my mother, Marie, and her husband, John, who is visiting from Canada and are with us in service tonight. We're glad that they came down and they're uh, spending a few days with us in Delaware. They're from a small town in Ontario called St. Mary's, and I'm sure you don't know where that is. Um, it's closest to only a slightly larger small town called Stratford. Um, it's a little more well-known uh, there in Ontario and Eastern Canada, at least. So, But we're glad that they're, they're with us tonight. As I was saying, um, the fact that my family and I are here in Newark is proof that there's been a lot of change <laughs> in Newark over the last few years. And um, as it's already been uh, shared, I guess, not too long ago. We are in the year of the Sabbath, but it kind of feels like the calm before the storm, uh, even. It's like <laughs> we've got a whole year to build up this potential energy that's going to be released to come 2020. And um, just some of the things that, uh, that Brother Stephen, the pastor, has already uh, mentioned that he's like planning for, but we can't do it this year. You know, he, he is resisting his natural inclination and he's just, but he can't help himself from thinking planning, but he's just got to push it off into the next year. So with, with change, well, with change comes the, uh, the possibility of issues arising. Because we're not always um, in love with change, are we? We sort of settle into a routine or the status quo and and so when change comes along and sort of rocks the, the boat a little bit, um, that can be a little unsettling. And having uh, moved uh, several times in the last um, number of years with my family, I, I know a little bit about change and adjustment, and it's not always easy. In fact, that it can even bring conflict. Conflict. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and conflict can even arise in a church as great a church as Newark UPC. It can. And so, I, and I've had the, the opportunity, I've been blessed to visit many churches in traveling for ministry and for, for Bible quizzing. And regardless of whatever bells and whistles and formats and resources they may have, this is a great church. Amen. Amen. But it's not a perfect church. It's not a perfect church because there is no perfect church. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And if change kind of unsettles you or if conflict may arise, you may think, well, I'm going to that church down the street or across town or around the corner, and I'm going to go there. That, that's a much better. There, they've got it going on. That's a perfect church. Well, even if that church were perfect, it would cease to be perfect as soon as you showed up. <laughs> right. 
See, problems and issues and conflicts just arise. It's part of the human condition, right? And so the, what we're confronted with then is the choice to either be part of the solution or apart from the solution. And that's the title, if you could throw up my title slide tonight, Part of the Solution. Part of the solution. Because you need to be part of the solution. Amen. Amen. And our concept of a perfect church, if we labor with that concept, is faulty because it it creates unrealistic expectations that we place upon our brothers and sisters, upon the leadership, and even the pastor. And these unrealistic expectations, nobody can meet, including ourselves. And it's not unlike this. This concept is not unlike the courtship before marriage when two starry-eyed young lovers seem just perfect for each other. They are the one. She is the one, right? They get married But in a few months, their expectations are tested, tested significantly. When her dish towels are used to wax the car. Mm Mm-hmm. Or his constant advances are met. Can you cannot keep, can't you keep your hands to yourself? Or or he's slipping his, his, his feet into his socks and he feels the hair that has gotten into the, just thinking about it gives me the willies. Can I get a witness there? Husband's in the house. Uh Uh-huh. Or she, she hears sounds coming from him in the restroom that she only thought she'd ever hear on a farm, and yet here they are in her house. They were perfect, but things all of a sudden don't quite seem so perfect. But with time and understanding, these young lovers will account for each other's imperfections. And in the face of full disclosure, they will still choose to love each other time and time again. The church is not perfect. Not only is the church imperfect, but it was designed by God for imperfect people, sinners like you and I. God's church is, in fact, a vehicle for sinners like you and me. That By the grace of God, we are initially saved from the world. We're continually daily saved from ourselves. And ultimately, we will be saved from hell by God's grace. Amen. We grow spiritually by learning from other more mature but still imperfect believers. God's church is only perfect in as much as his blood covers us and he sees us through his blood despite our imperfections. God's church is not perfect because we are without imperfections, but because his blood covers us despite our imperfections, not because we ourselves are without imperfections. And when change occurs and imperfections come to light and issues arise, 
It's at those moments where I am unsettled or perhaps in conflict or and perhaps not even open conflict. It doesn't have to be a knockdown, drag out conflict, but there can be conflict within myself. And in those moments, I can choose to be part of the solution or I can choose to separate myself and be apart from the solution. I can be apart from the solution in either of two ways. One, I can be personally involved in causing or spreading the issue, the problem, or more subtly, I can do nothing. I can simply say, well, it's not my place. I shouldn't say I think. And, and there's, there's something to be said for not sticking our noses where they don't belong, right? But if we can be gracious and we can bring uh, solace to conflict and issues and we do nothing, then are we any better than Pilate who just thought he could wash his hands and cleanse it and just sort of stand on the sidelines? See, each of us, and this was a metaphor that was shared with me, I believe it was uh, Dan Ryland, um, uh, who's an executive pastor and uh, author of multiple books. Um, the metaphor that each of us carry two buckets. Each of us carry two buckets. One bucket is filled with water. The other bucket in life is filled with gasoline. And every time we come upon an issue that just starts to flare up, just a little spark's happening, right? It's just starting to kindle, right? Perhaps there's been some friction, right? Some sparks have have guarded, and something's just started. And we've got these two buckets, and we've come upon, we have a choice. We can either douse it with the water, or we can feed it with the gasoline. It's our choice. But choosing to do nothing is also a choice that allows destructive flames of conflict to spread. So, how do we help ourselves choose the water bucket more often than not? Everyone's heard the axiom, don't sweat the small stuff, right? Don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff, right? To the point we've heard that so often, it's almost trite. It doesn't make it any less true, however. Most of the things that we nitpick about are probably small even by temporal standards, and they don't register at all in light of eternity. And as I have confessed before, I'm a phlegmatic melancholic. My secondary temperament is one of melancholy, and I've really struggled with this concept of not sweating the details. (laughs) Yeah. Because God, God is in the details. That's another pithy saying, right? God is in the details, right? So, so that means that I'm justified in my perfectionist tendencies, right? 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 Some, please, somebody tell me I'm right. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And I've, I've come to, to recognize within myself and, and other people that people are people, and given a subjective choice, they will defend their choice, no matter how small. Unfortunately, there are times that we can get so focused on the little things that we lose sight of the big picture. And the emotion of the moment 
getting caught up in these little things that do not resonate through eternity. And the emotion of the moment can narrow our view and even render us myopic. The focus upon a single issue or a single event or a single ministry is really not a luxury that leaders have. It's not a luxury that a senior pastor has. And so when you come so passionate about this one thing in one area, he's got a much broader picture to take in. So don't sweat the small stuff, but each of us define small stuff differently, don't we? What's insignificant to one person, right? Oh, that's just small stuff. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. It feels pretty big to that person, right? We just blow it off as that insignificant, but it's not insignificant, and it may not be small stuff to them. No matter how big or how small an issue is, however, the bottom line is that we see it as thus and so, and we want our way. And therein lies the conflict when issues arise. It's our natural man rising up. And our natural man, not our spiritual man, but the natural man, the flesh that we need to crucify every day, that natural man is not much more mature than an infant who always wants his way. And when he doesn't get it, he throws a fit and he lets you know, can I get a witness there? Any parents with young kids in the house? Yeah. Brother Ross there is like, yeah. Jesus. Jesus, in fact, modeled the exact opposite of our natural inclination. Reading in Philippians chapter 2, in the Amplified Version, beginning at verse 1, Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, so by whatever appealed to you, there is in our mutual dwelling in Christ, but what, by whatever strengthening and consoling and encouraging our relationship in him affords, by whatever persuasive incentive there is in love, by whatever participation in the Holy Spirit we share, and by whatever depth of affection and compassionate sympathy. I mean, Paul was digging deep here to get them on his side. Philip and complete my joy by living in harmony. Now, why is Paul writing this? Why is he digging deep? He's not going to say live in harmony unless there's conflict, unless people aren't living harmoniously. And that's why he, he's really reaching for them. Fill up and complete my joy by living in harmony and being of the same mind and one in purpose, having the same love, being in full accord and of one harmonious mind and intention. Do nothing from factional motives. Again, there must have been factions at work warring against each other. He's not writing this. He's writing it to the church. Holy Ghost-filled, baptized believers. Do nothing from factional motives through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for unworthy ends, or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let each regard the others as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also the interests, each for the interests of others. 
Verse 5, let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, who, although being essentially one with God in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, do not think this equality, did not think, excuse me, this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. But Jesus Christ stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant, a slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. And after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ, in fact, gave up his rights. He had all the rights in the universe, and yet he gave them up. He gave them up to not only come in mortal flesh, this dual nature, both God and man, but to abase and humble himself still further and die a horrible, horrible death. When you join a country club, you get special rights and privileges. But the church is not a country club. While we do enjoy privileges as sons and daughters of the king, the king that Brother Desi spoke of this morning, We enjoy privileges like prayer, being able to come boldly before the throne of grace. The privileges of that grace in our lives, of the Holy Ghost that's poured out to us, the Word of God that's given to us. While we do enjoy privileges as sons and daughters, the church is the body of Christ, not the body of Russ, and not the body of Vince, or not the body of James Beardsley. It's the body of Christ because it's not about me and it's not about you. It is all about him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We, we may at times justify even our right, our right to act within the church or an area of ministry or we feel that, that we should by saying something like, well, well brother, brother Russ, there's a need here and it's going unmet. I feel that something really needs to be done, and so I'm, I'm going to just bowl my way in there and get it done. And again, there's something to be said about taking personal initiative. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But maybe there's a, a need for a salesperson in a china shop, but if a bull comes in to apply for that job, that need will continue to go unmet. Because how we do what we do is always part of the equation. How we do what we do is always part of the equation. It's impossible to please everyone all the time. Right? We know that. Some of us are, I'm a firstborn, so I tend to be more of a pleaser, a people pleaser. I'm that phlegmatic temperament, as I already said. I'm the diplomat. I want to bring harmony and people. You can't please everybody all the time. Jesus didn't do it. And it's not wise or, or even biblical to try to make everyone happy all the time. Right? 
It's not biblical for your pastor to try to make everybody happy all the time. I'm not sure that he really labors under that a whole lot of... <laughs> but that means that given enough time that you'll likely find yourself unhappy at one point or another because as the circle comes around, you're going to be the one that is unhappy at that time. And so we find ourselves unhappy with a situation that has developed or a decision that's been made. And sometimes situations are what they are, and we get what we get. And again, it comes back to how do I now choose to react to this situation, this issue? To work effectively and sensitively means to work slowly at times, over time, with the end game in mind. Systems and processes can change, and new things can be tried, but people aren't just systems and processes. People can't be rebooted like a computer or flipped on or off like a light switch. So how do we still make sure that we are nonetheless part of the solution when a solution is required? Well, we can begin by choosing to model a positive attitude. I read this story some time ago. I'll share it with you. Now, Larry... Larry was spending some time one Saturday fixing his VW minibus. I remember those. In fact, my, my dad had one. It didn't have a heater. And uh, let me remind you, we lived in Ottawa. <laughs> well, Larry was fixing his VW minibus, and while lying beneath it, he was thinking how it was a blessing to have some extra time to tinker. While doing so, the entire contents of the oil pan dumped on his face and chest. Yeah. Larry quickly scampered out from under the vehicle, and the first words out of his mouth were, I'm so fortunate the oil wasn't hot. (laughs) Now, I don't know if those had been the first words out of my mouth. I probably would not have been thinking myself fortunate. But Larry felt fortunate because that had been his attitude beforehand. He was thinking how fortunate and how blessed he was. And so when that issue was dumped on his face and chest, he already had the right attitude. It was an attitude that he, was, he had conscientiously cultivated. And next to the Holy Ghost, our attitude is the strongest force within us. Our attitude influences our decisions, shapes our relationships, colors our feelings, and impacts our behavior. A negative attitude results in a lackluster atmosphere. Do you enjoy being around people when they got a bad attitude? Right? Man, I, I, I kind of wish that people would just wear a sign. It's just said, like, bad attitude. Right? Now, I just noticed, dear clear. I'll just give you your space until that passes. Right? Because we don't enjoy being around that negative or bad attitudes. It results in a lackluster atmosphere and and little trust and low morale and and a critical spirit. And even if I'd heard years ago when I was working in the corporate tech sector that if you want to know what people are really thinking and how they feel, talk to them after the meeting, right? Because it was down the hall, even, even if it wasn't apparent in the moment, It was down the hall or at their desk that they shared their true attitude 
about how things went or what those decisions, how those decisions went down. So quickly, three, three quick points about attitude this evening. Number one, attitude is a choice. Nobody is born with a bad attitude. Now, there may be some parents that may think otherwise with that colicky, temperamental baby. But I, I, I submit that no one is born with a bad attitude. Tough breaks in life don't necessitate a bad attitude because there are plenty of people who have had tough breaks in life who have become incredible success stories. Personal limitations do not necessitate a bad attitude because there are plenty of people who have overcome personal limitations and have positive attitudes. Your attitude will determine the quality of each day. And if we're faced each morning with the picture of having a good day or having a bad day, well, I have no doubt that we'd all choose the good day every time, right? And we can. We can. If we choose to have a Christ-like attitude. Number two, uh, second point about attitude, believe the best in everyone. Believe the best in everyone. See, we find in people what we look for. And since no one is flawless, if you look for imperfection, you will find imperfection. But if you look for the positives, you will find those also. Believing the best in everyone is not a naive pie-in-the-sky concept disconnecting from reality. It's a principle that understands that everyone is endowed with strengths and weaknesses. Everyone has value. That God looks at them and sees the best person that they can be, even if they're not that best person right now. Just as God looked at each and every one of us and saw what we could be when we weren't yet that. It's that principle that everyone is endowed with strengths and weaknesses and value and that you and I, the church as a whole, is better off when we focus on those strengths and, and, and the value that God has placed within us. When we initially require someone to earn our trust, and I understand that sometimes we have hurt, we have pain, we have wounds, and to protect ourselves, we build walls Sometimes very high walls. And when we do that, we require people to try to scale an inordinate amount of time and effort to try to scale that wall as they try to earn our trust. But the thing about earning trust is that it has to be given as well. No matter how hard I try, if it's not given, I can't earn it. And when we require someone to scale such high walls and earn our trust, we are saying that I think very little of you. I am expecting the worst from you, and certainly less than the best. Just as a quick example on youth and quiz trips, we didn't typically, my wife and I, was, we served as youth pastors two or three times. We didn't require a chaperone in, in every room because we gave our trust freely up front until this young person maybe gave us a reason not to. But I believe, and quite frankly, I believe there were, after all 25-plus years of youth ministry, 
I only remember one issue. Because we gave that trust freely, we were in fact saying, I believe in you and I expect the best from you. And I'm going to give you my trust freely. Number three, extend the benefit of the doubt. When it comes to attitude, extend the benefit of the doubt. Similar to the last point, this, however, focuses on gossip or rumor or assumption or misunderstanding that so often just uh, wraps itself around conflict and issues that arise. So much of life is experienced through and then acted out on the basis of individual perspective that without extending the benefit of the doubt is actually to invite unnecessary conflict. And just because I have struggled with an issue in my life does not automatically allow me to assume that another brother or sister in the church struggles with the same issue. Now, there is, the, there is a common universal human condition. I understand that. And yet, at the same time, God does not use a cookie cutter to create human beings. He doesn't stamp them out in a printing press or something. Now, brother or sister may well struggle, but I will extend to him the benefit of the doubt as far as he and his actions will allow me to do so. I will choose to believe the best and extend the benefit of the doubt because I'd want my brother or sister to do the same to me. Amen. Just about any solution to a legitimate, as we're coming to a close here, just about any solution to a legitimate problem big enough to fret over requires at least some degree of teamwork because, because while you have to be a part of solution, right, the collective you, including me, has to be part of the solution. Teamwork. A team is defined as more than one person coming together to accomplish something that could not be otherwise accomplished by individuals alone. And as we, I close this evening, I'd like to share five traits of teamwork in overcoming conflict and issues that arise. Five traits. Number one, cooperation. Cooperation. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 in the Amplified Version, Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 and 10, says that two are better than one because they have a more satisfying return for their labor. I like the way the Amplified uh, renders this, a more satisfying return. Not just that you get a return, but that that return, the yield of your labor, is satisfying, right? We've all done and worked in something and got something accomplished, and we're like, ah, well, at least it got done. You may not feel especially satisfied when it was finished, but you got it done. But that's not, they're saying it's a satisfying return. Verse 10 for if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and does not have another to lift him up. Cooperation. Kids, and I've had four of them, four and no more, thank God. Kids squabble and fight, and as parents we have to step in and mediate because as children they've not, they have yet to develop the skills and discipline necessary to resolve conflict appropriately and to cooperate to get a task done. But when adults don't cooperate, it's because we choose not to. 
Important ingredients in the best cooperative efforts are trust, respect, and being others-oriented. Just like we read about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, others-oriented. Subtract any of these elements, and things may still get done. The project may be accomplished, but likely not without some degree of friction. And enough friction over time, and things seize up and stop getting done, like an engine without oil. And so we need the oil of cooperation. Number two, communication. Communication. Proverbs chapter 15 Proverbs chapter 15 in the King James Version says, a soft, and the Amplified includes a soft and gentle and thoughtful answer, turneth away wrath. You never, you never deal with flesh with flesh. Leaders here tonight, if somebody is, is in their emotion of the moment and our flesh rises up and we're speaking out of our natural man, it never resolves anything to deal with it in the same fashion. And so a soft, gentle, thoughtful answer turns away wrath. But grievous, harsh, painful, careless words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth. Another translation says it spouts, or the New Living Translation actually says the mouth of fools Belches out foolishness. Yeah. How's that for a word picture for you? In the most practical ways, the church is built by people communicating. The church is built by people talking to each other. Preaching, teaching, discussion, Bible studies, small groups, talking to those outside the church, being a witness and sharing our testimony. Communication. And the church is, conversely, the church is destroyed when people refuse to talk to each other. When there is an issue and yet we don't address it biblically. In grace. And at the very least, it's damaged when communication is poor. Not all communication is, of course, good communication. We're instructed to speak the truth in love. Because the how of what we do is always part of the equation. And we said, well, I just let him know. You know, I was just telling him. I just spoke the truth. Well, simply pointing out a problem is not really being part of the solution, is it? No. Because my natural bent, as I've confessed again tonight, is to be detailed. And by detailed, I mean critical at times. (laughs) I had to learn early in ministry never to identify a problem without having a plausible solution to accompany it. And I learned later in the corporate sector that no one appreciates a pigeon manager. This is a term that I picked up when I was working in telecom, a pigeon manager. A pigeon manager is one who flies in, poops all over everything, and then just leaves. No one appreciates that. People out in the world don't even appreciate that. Good communication involves being open, honest, and gracious. It means taking the risk of letting others into our lives. Good communication requires being inclusive and not exclusive, not just talking amongst our little cliques or God forbid. Paul wrote that the whole body is fitly joined together, appropriately joined together and compacted. 
I love that word that God will just press you together, right, compact you. And isn't it just like God, he'll compact you with somebody that just gets under your skin? That brother or sister that, oh, my, my pastor growing up called those people grace builders. Yes. And yet God knows exactly what he's doing by compacting us together. Hallelujah. Number three, change orientation. Change orientation. Teamwork. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose. Not a purpose to every time. As time passes through our lives, it's not a matter of God enacting a purpose in that time or in this time or the next time. No, no. It's the purpose that is paramount, and God will use as much time as he desires and as he has designed to enact his purpose. Will Rogers once said that if, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Change does not necessarily result in growth. We've had a lot of changes here at Newark UPC, and in the years to come, there'll be more changes still. That in and of itself does not mean growth, but growth will always mean change. And if we want to be a part of God's plan to grow this church beyond these walls, multiple services, multiple campuses, like Pastor has cast that vision, that will mean growth and it will mean change. Nothing that grow, that's growing stays the same. Expect growth. When, and when the change that accompanies it comes, you won't be bent out of shape about it, or at least you'll be less bent out of shape <laughs> about it, hopefully. Number four, Proverbs chapter 11, contribution. Contribution is number four in speaking about teamwork. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 in the ISV says, Those who give freely gain even more. Others hold back what they owe, becoming even poorer. A generous person will prosper, and anyone who gives water will receive a flood in return. Hallelujah. Don't you love God's economy? Hallelujah. All players on a team are required to contribute in some way at some point, even if their contribution is not the same on the scoreboard. You have somebody that plays offense and another player plays defense. Everybody's got their role. It doesn't mean that they're not part of the team if they have, been, they have contributed to the degree that they are asked and are able. However, if we think we're on the team, but we're not willing to contribute our time, our talent, our treasure to the kingdom, then we may just think we're on the team because we're not contributing. Mm, we need to reevaluate. Lastly, tonight... Afraid I've taken a little more time than intended, but allow me to, to move quickly to, to a close. The last, number five, commitment. Commitment. Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. This is Jesus in the garden praying, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Commitment. Commitment, despite change, despite issues, despite even conflict. Commitment. The farm animals gathered one morning to talk about the farmer's birthday. He was a nice guy, and they wanted to do something special for him. 
the discussion came around to fixing him breakfast. He was always up so early, working so hard. And so it was, it was mentioned in the discussion about breakfast how much the farmer loved ham and eggs. I can already tell some of you have heard this story before. The chicken quickly clucked her assent. That's a great idea. The pig, however, replied hesitantly. He says, I don't know. For you, Miss Chicken, that means a contribution. But for me, that means real commitment. (laughs) Because real commitment is not easy. Real commitment is tested when we don't agree on an issue, when we don't agree on a change, and yet we remain committed. And I'm not talking that we don't, we disagree over doctrinal issues of what the Word of God actually says. I'm talking about methods. I'm talking about judgment calls, discretion, this sort of thing. Real commitment is proven when we submit, even when we sh- we're sure we're right. I've never once found out that I was wrong and then failed to submit. But I always have an issue when I think that I'm right and things aren't going my way. But I have then a choice to make. Especially, especially if, we, if I consider myself an expert in a given area and I'm right more often than I'm wrong. And yet, real long-term kingdom-oriented, Christ-centered solutions. Solutions, if you could throw the title slide up as we come to a close here. Solutions that require you to be involved, and the best solutions always require you because that requires real commitment, sacrifice, and submission to be part of the solution. Amen. Let's stand this evening as we're coming to worship God in our giving And yes, in our giving, the ushers are preparing at this time. We're going to continue to worship the Lord.